six seconds left, and then Chad Kowarik will be released. Six seconds of power play time remaining. Henson was thrown out of the uh, face-off circle because Desch went over to shout instructions to Kalorn. Thank you for listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. If you'd like to contact the sports department, please email us at sports at WCBN.org or call the station at 734-763-3500. Pass comes forward. Here's Hensick. Now to Kaloric. He's behind the defense. He's in. Shot and score. Chad Kaloric out of the penalty box gives the Wolverines a 4-0 lead. Well, I guess we're on the air. Welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And my partner tonight, Jim Dwyer, is uh, school responsibilities, so he'll be rejoining us next week. I've been tied up with uh, spring opening day, lots of uh, baseball action. It's always good to get baseball back underway. It's our most intellectual sport. There are better sports, but there's no better game than baseball. And real quickly, let's root for Ohio State tonight in the national championship game because uh, (laughs) if they win, maybe Greg Oden will go pro. If you're going to be the first-round pick in the NBA, uh, regardless of what year you go out, (laughs) if you win a national championship, it tends to uh, materialize. Should be an interesting game tonight. Uh, Either team could win this game. Uh, OSU's got the advantage with the, uh, I think, the best point guard in America in Connolly and obviously the best big man in Odin. Florida's got the experience and depth and probably the two keys to the game. I didn't hear the uh, extra point show, but uh, my opinion, the two keys to the game will be the officiating and the three-point shooting. Who's going to hit the three points, three-pointers? Both teams uh, shoot a lot of them. Ohio State's probably uh, got better overall guard depth. But uh, Odin has has got to stay in the game. If he gets cheap fouls called on him or what I call fake flops <laughs> that tend to uh, contribute to uh, mythical charging fouls that I somewhat blame on Billy Packer, claiming that half those plays are charges and half of them are blocks. He's just incorrect. Uh, 85% of them are blocks, not charges. Um, so we'll just have to wait and see. One other quick uh, local item, I don't usually comment about other radio stations, but uh, it's definitely uh, a sad day when a, a DJ, a freeform DJ, as uh, uh, skillful and competent as Liz Copeland is uh, relieved of duty due to programming changes at WDET. Several other DJs were relieved of duty, but I, Liz Copeland, over the years, I think is... Uh, one of the finest radio personalities in the southeast Michigan area, and uh, I'm definitely going to miss her show, uh, 12 to 5, Alternative Take. Uh, luckily, WCBN <laughs> is still committed to the free forum uh, concept, and I might add, we have a very fine uh, late-night DJs. I'm a cab driver, so I'm up at strange hours, and I think a lot of our 3 to 6 people uh, this particular term, uh, many of them young ladies, do a superb job of free forum programming. So all is not lost if uh, you uh, listen to Liz Copeland's show 
rest assured that WCBN uh, has a competent uh, DJs on the job uh, performing uh, that interesting mix of uh, freeform music that uh, our station in particular is committed to. I'm a little unclear what direction WDET is going in, but they've uh, sort of removed a couple of their other freeform style DJs, including the lead uh, the lead man of the Dirt Bombs. So I think that's a sad day indeed. I think they're going to more news. Um, and while I'm a big fan of news and certainly listen to a lot of news uh, radio myself, uh, I will certainly miss Liz Copeland. So um, we'll give uh, WDET a brain damage award. Just in keeping up uh, the tradition of our uh, show down here, uh, Gray Matters. And in the area of other brain damage awards, let's uh, quickly dispatch a couple of them. Uh, John McCain, uh, <clears throat> running for president. And alas, uh, sort of, uh, he's sort of stuck in the muck of Iraq. He's uh, made a, a very strange commitment to uh, not only believing in the troop surge, but actually uh, believing in escalating the troop the troop surge, uh, was in Iraq uh, this weekend and uh, claims that uh, a lot of progress is being made there. Uh, this is a very strange perception. Of course, he goes out and blames the media for the problems, claims that, uh, well, he, he says we're making progress and that there was cause for, quote, very cautious optimism. Um, I would suggest that the uh, cautious optimism um, is not uh, warranted in any way, shape, or form. For instance, just this past month, 81 American troops died, at least 81. Uh, if you actually read the New York Times, it's 83. Um, more American troops died this weekend. And the full impact of the surges uh, hasn't even been implemented yet. So it's a mysterious... Uh, belief to claim that progress is being made and that the media is not reporting on the good stories. Uh, Iraq is a mess. Uh, just uh, to quote the, uh, the famous uh, uh, Michigan uh, Mideast expert Juan Cole, and I'm just reading here from a book I just finished called Fiasco by Thomas Ricks, which is sort of a, uh, an analysis of the uh, Mistakes that have been made, to uh, paraphrase uh, Alberto Gonzalez in the uh, ongoing attorney general scandal. Uh, at the end of uh, Thomas Ricks's uh, book, he points out, just quoting Juan Cole, an expert at the University of Michigan and an outspoken opponent of the war, said that under the care of the Bush administration, Iraq had become a failed state of the sort that produces terrorists. Iraq was not a failed state in 2002. And indeed it was not. Uh, that's quoting uh, Juan Cole, um, who, by the way, we're lucky that he's still at the University of Michigan. Uh, he was uh, going to get a so-called promotion to uh, Yale. And the... Uh, Flotsam and jetsam of the CIA and the Yale alumni uh, objected to Juan Cole being hired at Yale. Um, so we are lucky to have retained him. 
But indeed, when you begin looking at the overall Bush policy uh, in the Middle East, it's a complete fiasco. Uh, I just finished the uh, Seymour Hirsch article in the uh, March 5th edition of The New Yorker, which I think sheds some light on the complete uh, disarray of the um, Bush Mideast policy, where he talks specifically pretty much about an Iran-Contra-style um, covert sort of secret uh, Bush Mideast policy in which the United States is supporting, uh, with the assistance of Saudi Arabia, uh, radical Sunni elements within the Middle East uh, as a uh, sort of a, their new interpretation is that uh, Hezbollah in Lebanon and Iran specifically is the real threat to the region. And of course, once the United States overthrew the uh, Iraqi government, they removed the main um, impediment to uh, the dominance of the Iranian government. Uh, this article, of course, uh, he, he was interviewed extensively around the, the world, and it's uh, startling in its revelations about the incoherence of the Bush administration's Mideast policy. Um, and, of course, the key players in this Middle East policy turn out to be Dick Cheney, Elliot Abrams uh, of Iran-Contra fame, um, Prince Bandar, uh, the national Saudi security advisor, and um, newly departed uh, Zamle uh, Khalizad, of, uh, who was recently the Iraqi ambassador, the American ambassador to, to Iraq. Uh, he was recently replaced, incidentally, by a guy that was over in Afghanistan, so they keep playing musical chairs in the Bush administration. And it would seem that, uh, to quote one uh, Mideast expert, uh, the Mideast is heading into a serious Sunni-Shiite Cold War. The White House is not just doubling the bet in Iraq, it's doubling the bet across the region. This could get very complicated. Everything is upside down. And, of course, the essence of this article, and he's uh, quoting um, high-ranking, uh, anonymous sources in the American CIA and military, as well as uh, so-called experts that operate within the so-called so national security apparatus of the American government, uh, go into the duplicitous um, aspects of American foreign policy in which uh, a lot of money is being thrown around to various factions in the region with somehow hoping um, that in the midst of the barn full of manure, that there is a pony uh, somewhere in the room. Uh, and that, of course, is a little uh, backhanded reference to Ronald Reagan, who was uh, always optimistic uh, when uh, told of a room, a barn full of room of manure. He uh, believed that there was a pony somewhere nearby. Um, and that this is scary stuff. Um, for instance, and, and he goes into sort of a brief uh, recapitulation of recent events over the past uh, several months involving, um, for instance, in November, Cheney flew to Saudi Arabia for a surprise meeting with King Abdullah and Prince Bandar. 
And the New York Times reported that the king warned Cheney that Saudi Arabia would back its fellow Sunnis in Iraq if the United States were to withdraw. Hence, we get the real reason why the Bush administration opposes timetables uh, that have been inserted in the uh, various Democratic congressional bills that came out of uh, Congress last week. Needless to say, George Bush has vowed to veto these bills, and I'm sure that his veto will not be overridden. They don't have the votes to do that, but... um, and, of course, the Democrats uh, larded the bill down with some pork barrel spending that uh, probably, uh, in, at the end of the day, uh, convinced some people, some of the Democrats, to vote their way. But as one uh, con- congressman from Oregon pointed out, he didn't vote for the bill because of uh, earmarks in the, in the bill. He voted for the bill because the bill had timetables in it um, and that uh, this uh sort of uh, strange um, involvement of uh, Saudi Arabia in American foreign policy. Um, And it's interesting because King Abdullah just last week at at an Arab League meeting, um, of course, denounced the American uh, invasion of Iraq, pointed out that it was pretty much a failure and has uh, thrown the region into chaos. But um, Seymour Hersh is uh, noting that the Saudis fear the rise of the Shiites far more, um, and, and this is in reference to what's going on in Iraq, and that they are, quote, starting to use their leverage, which is money. Um, and uh, the American government does not understand uh, all of these the, these factions that operate in the Middle East, and hence this is why the policy... Uh, to quote uh, Martin uh, Indig, is it's doubling the bet in Iraq. It's doubling the bet across the region, and this could get very complicated. Everything is upside down. The article, of course, goes on to detail how uh, the Saudis' uh, sponsorship of Sunni jihadists in in Lebanon— and he's quoting a, Cy Hirsch is quoting a Saudi diplomat here, who says, uh, Salafis are sick and hateful, and I'm very much against the idea of flirting with them. They hate the Shiites, but they hate Americans more. If you try to outsmart them, they will outsmart us, and it will get ugly. And this, of course, is exactly what's going on. The article, of course, goes into extensive detail how the Bush administration has not kept uh, the appropriate congressional committees informed about what's uh, really going on any more than Alberto Gonzalez has told the truth uh, to the Senate Judiciary Committee, and his day of reckoning may yet come. Um, So we'll give a brain damage award to George Bush. He, of course, last week... Uh, began to cite bloggers, of all things, uh, claiming that progress was being made. He said, quote, I want to share with you the two Iraq bloggers. They have bloggers in Baghdad, just like we've got them here. He went on to quote the bloggers directly. Displaced families are returning home. Marketplaces are seeing more activity. Stores that were long shuttered are now reopening. We feel safer about moving in the city now. Our people want to see the, uh, the effort succeed. We hope that the governments in Baghdad and America do not lose their resolve. 
Well, of course, this is all a, a fiction. Um, the Iraq War, it's been extensively uh, documented, has created over a million and a half refugees. I'm not aware of anybody that's actually moving back uh, to Baghdad. People are moving out of Baghdad. And for Bush to cite a couple of anonymous bloggers um, to uh, sort of uh, believe in his own mind that we're making progress is a scary development indeed. Well, other scary developments are occurring under the Bush administration's uh, uh, regime, shall we say. Uh, just last week it was reported, and I guess I'll lead this uh, segment off by quoting uh, an, an item from the Harper's Index, uh, the, the March edition of the Harper's Index, chance that a U.S. worker in 1970 experienced a drop of income that year of one-half or greater from the year before, one in 14, chance in 2002, one in six. And, of course, this is uh, related to uh, layoffs and the fact that uh, people that lose uh, high-paying manufacturing jobs uh, are not likely to find replacement jobs that pay anywhere near as much. Well, just last week, once again, we have that the income gap in America is the greatest since the U.S. Depression. I might add, just last year, it was also reported that uh, for the second year uh, since the Great Depression, Americans had a negative savings rate here in the United States. And this in connection with the continuing problems uh, with the subprime uh, real estate market declining uh, housing prices in various regions, and, of course, a total glut of housing at this point uh, here uh, in the United States. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, quoting from Day K. Johnston of the New York Times, and by the way, uh, he's got a couple of books out on uh, what I call uh, the tax the tax code and how uh, mangled it really is, and he's sort of an expert on... Uh, uh, the Tax Code as well as Income Distribution, one of the best uh, economic uh, writers today uh, that's that's working anywhere in America, wrote uh, just this past, uh, on the 29th of March, income inequality grew significantly in, in 2005 with the top 1% of Americans, those with incomes that year of more than 348,000, received their largest share of national income since 1928. The new data shows that the top 300,000 Americans collectively enjoyed almost as much income as the bottom 150 million Americans. It's about half the country. Per person, the top group received 440 times as much as the average person in the bottom half, uh, that the bottom half earned, nearly doubling the gap from 1980. He continues, the disparities may be even greater for another reason. The IRS estimates that it is able to accurately tax 99% of wage income, but that it captures only about 70% of business and investment income, most of which flows to upper-income individuals, because not everybody accurately reports such figures. Indeed, and of course, many of these... Uh, 
corporations are specifically designed to obscure what's really going on uh, with respect to their books. Uh, an accounting student at the University of Michigan once told me that every business keeps three sets of books. Uh, one for the banks, which is uh, how you secure credit and loans. One for the shareholders, which is how you um, encourage them to invest in your business. And one for the government, which is how you report your tax revenue. Um, and this, of course, is a well-known accounting uh, gimmick uh, that allows businesses to deduct all sorts of all sorts of things as real, ex you know, expenses when they're really uh, benefits that are uh, accruing to certain individuals. So uh, this um, new report, which is based basically on uh, data from the Census Bureau and various academic around the uh, the country is very scary stuff and of course it solidifies the notion that the Goldilocks economy that uh, Larry Kudlow keeps talking about on MSNBC is just not the case meanwhile of course the Republicans continue to cater to the so-called club of growth and their concepts that taxes need to be cut further. Uh, this, by the way, is why Michigan has uh, tax uh, deficits or de revenue deficits right now because of the, um, shall we say, imbalanced uh, tax uh, formulas that were used during the 1990s under the administration of John Engler. And, uh, of course, Dick Hadley and various other groups over the past generation have sort of decapitalized the state government. Uh, the budget battle that's going on in Lansing, while I'm not uh, paying quite as uh, close attention to that as uh, some other events, <laughs> other uh, national and international events, is certainly interesting in that the um, fundamental conflict is between um, Jennifer Granholm's desire to properly finance uh, education and uh, health care programs and the Republicans in the, the state legislature continuing belief and they uh, do still control the Senate um, so that and, and the margins for uh, majorities are very narrow in, in uh, both houses so that some sort of compromise eventually will have to be made um, continue to believe in this sort of magic formula of cutting taxes for business and that this somehow generates more revenue when the record shows that it does no such thing. It redistributes wealth, certainly, but uh, the share of um, the top 1% uh, and the top uh, versus the bottom 90% is startling. And uh, the graphs uh, in this article by David K. Johnston from the 29th uh, March edition of the New York Times business section is startling um, data. I mean, it just shows that the top 1% had a sort of a flat line basically between 1945 and, surprise, surprise, 1980. And then when Ronald Reagan came in and readjusted the uh, tax rates, uh, their uh, percentage just kept rising while the bottom 90% just kept declining. 
needless to say, the bottom 90% uh, share of uh, income began declining much earlier. Uh, you can write down 1973 as one of those key years in American history. It was the uh, year that America essentially uh, admitted defeat in Vietnam. It was the year of the oil embargo as a result of the Yom Kippur War, and it was also the year that Richard Nixon uh, began his uh, steady decline that eventually led to his resignation. 73 is a key year in American history uh, because uh, the oil embargo uh, that resulted from the Yom Kippur War ended up uh, costing Americans millions of uh, high-paying manufacturing jobs that led to the rise of Japan and Germany to some extent. The United States had recently gone off the gold standard because of the run on gold uh, during the Vietnam War in which uh, Lyndon Johnson and uh, Richard Nixon pursued a deficit spending to finance that war, much as the uh, Bush administration is doing right now to fund its war. It's reporting misleading deficit statistics um, pretty much uh, every time they report them. Uh, what they do very cleverly is they take the 180 to about $200 billion of Social Security tax surplus uh, and uh, use it to offset uh, actually the current operational deficits that are uh, continuing to occur under this administration. It's very scary stuff, but uh, when you have a man as clueless as George Bush, one shouldn't be surprised. Uh, not only did I just finish uh, Fiasco by Thomas Ricks, but I've been reading a, a local book called Anatomy of Deceit, how the Bush administration used the media to sell the Iraq War, a war and out a spy by Marcy Wheeler. Uh, this is published by Vaster Books out of Berkeley, California, but she's apparently a local blogger um, and is a self-employed business consultant based in Ann Arbor. At one point in the book, of course, she quotes Bush's infamous May 29th statements made in Poland while he was at a uh, NATO-European uh, summit when he said, quote, We found the weapons of mass destruction. We found biological laboratories. You remember when Colin Powell stood up in front of the world and said Iraq has got laboratories, mobile labs, to build biological weapons. That's illegal. They're against the United uh, Nations resolutions, and so far we've discovered two, and we'll find more weapons as time goes on. But for those who say we haven't found the uh, banned manufacturing devices or banned weapons, they're wrong. We found them. Uh, this uh, statement was made by George Bush on the 29th of May, 2003, 28 days after he pulled his uh, infamous mission accomplished uh, stunt where he donned the flight deck suit and showed the world that he was a big fan of the village people and a very macho man. Well, in uh, the declining time, I'd, I'd do some singing, but <laughs> my karaoke voice isn't that good. Um, I, there was late breaking news today that the Tribune offer has been accepted by Interestingly, a former U of M alumni, um, there were two competing battles. And I've been interested in this story because of the uh, recent Frontline documentary called News Wars about the uh, 
sort of the uh, predicament of the uh, <clears throat> Los Angeles Times, which is part of the uh, many uh, companies owned by the Tribune Corporation. Interestingly, by the way, the Chicago Cubs apparently are going to be up for sale. So if anybody wants to buy a lovable loser, um, call them. Uh, they're, they're taking bids and they want to sell by the end of the season. Um, but I wanted to read a couple of items from a superb uh, article that appears in the March-April edition of the Columbia Journalism Review by Robert Kuttner, The Race, newspapers, um, it's basically about newspapers and the Wall Street pressure on newspapers. He writes, if newspapers are now finding their digital footing faster than observers feared, Will Wall Street allow this promising transition to maximize its potential? In 2006, supposedly a disastrous years for newspapers, the average profit margins for newspaper divisions of publicly traded publishing com companies was 17.8%, according to Merrill Lynch media analyst Lauren Rich Fine. That's well above the average for all industries, yet newspaper stocks lagged the S&P last year by 21%. After another disastrously down year in 2005, is there something fatally wrong with newspapers that their profit margins conceal? Or is there something amiss in the way Wall Street values newspapers? He continues, even if newspaper publishers do everything right, however, in the Internet age, they will have a smaller share of the total advertising pie than they enjoyed in the print era. Newspaper share of the $424 billion spent globally last year on advertising, according to Zenith Optimedia, was still a considerable 29.1%, but shrinking. The Internet share was just 5.8%, but growing. So this is the, f the, the interesting um, dichotomy here. Newspapers actually make considerably more money uh, from advertising than the internet, but the internet stocks, you know, like Google, has some outrageous uh, price-earnings uh, ratio. In other words, you pay an enormous premium to uh, uh, purchase Google stock because the street betting is that Google is on the massively on the way up and uh, private newspapers are on the way down. Um, but one may want to look at that more closely. Uh, Kuttner continues, and I guess I'll just close with this quick uh, sentence or two. The nation's top 30 newspaper websites together have over 100 million such monthly visits, while Microsoft, Google, and Yahoo have well over 100 million each, according to Nielsen Net Ratings. The search engines do some do uh, share some of this ad revenue with newspapers through a variety of ad partnership models. Google wrote checks of uh, $780 million to its ad content partners in the last quarter of 2006, but the other large entrepreneurs are pure rivals. We've uh, reported on this, of course, because of the interesting observation in the uh, Frontline special that the websites that I just mentioned are completely dependent on newspapers for their content. So it's a very interesting uh, murder-suicide of sorts that's uh, in play here, and it's something we'll f continue to focus on here on Gray Matters. Well, we're out of time this evening. Do stay tuned. Yazoo City Calling is coming up next right here on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Thanks to Alex 